Hello and welcome to episode six of the Random Thoughts podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B Thoughts. Hopefully you're looking us up to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I'm your host, Darren O'Neill. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about value. What do we value? How and why do we place a value on it? And probably most important of all, are the valuations that we come up with accurate at all? If you remember from last week, the episode we had was involving negotiation. And if you missed that one, go check out episode five, then come back. We can wait for you. Uh, We talked about negotiation. And one of the things that spurred that on was that I had recently been looking for a couple of new theater seats to replace the old ones that we'd had in our house for uh, well over a decade now. And we went out, thought we did our homework, went to a couple local places, looked everything up online And I was pretty comfortable with the fact that the price we were getting was pretty good. And I felt pretty good about that. I thought, you know, hey, I'm getting a pretty decent value on these. And we placed the order. And by the time we had gotten home, one of the other places that we had asked for a price that just was a little bit slower in uh, getting back to me through no fault of their own, the price was down about another thousand dollars. It was about another 30% below what we were looking to pay for this piece of furniture. Now, I thought I was getting a really good value, and I felt good about that briefly, momentarily, and would have been happy with that if I had remained completely ignorant of the next uh, offer that had come in, the next you know price that I had been offered there from this other company. And it got me thinking about value, because I was happy to pay that higher price. Well, nobody's happy to pay anything, but I was content in that I had done my homework and my due diligence and that furniture like this just costs money because you want it to last, which I do. And I'm a bigger guy, so I wanted the biggest, baddest theater seats that I could possibly find. And I felt good about it until I got home and I still felt good about it because I got the price then price matched. But it occurred to me that if I wouldn't have gone that extra mile to get that last bit of information, to get that price from that last company, I would have paid a lot more. And all of a sudden, the viewpoint of that original deal, the value that I was happy with, like a split second before, totally came crashing down because of the new information. And it was interesting to me. And it went back to something we had talked about in the negotiation podcast as well, which was in the book Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, who was an MIT professor, that the first price that you really consider paying for something really affects where you're going to end up buying. So again, if you're the first thing you really think that, hey, I'm going to buy this laptop and it's $500, you have a really hard time then buying a $2,000 laptop. On the other side of that, if the first laptop you really think you want to buy is $2,000, it makes it really easy maybe to jump up to $2,500 or so. And that's all because of where your brain is the first time you actually consider the value of what you want to purchase. And value is occurring in a lot of weird ways in this particular culture now as physical media dies away. When I was a kid, when it came down to entertainment, I mean, sure, you could go to the movies and concerts and ball games and all that. But as far as entertainment that you purchased for your consumption at home, I was going out buying 
LPs. That was the original music, you know, maybe a cassette here and there, but I was more of an LP kid. Uh, and then CDs came and we got to have the CDs, man. These are awesome. Physical media, CDs, VHS tapes. You had, of course, then DVDs, Blu-rays. When it came to entertainment, books, everything that you were consuming was in a physical form and thus had a certain amount of value to it. When everything went digital, that started to change. And it's really an interesting thing for people like me, especially who do podcasts and do YouTube videos and that. So you're in the entertainment industry, not getting paid, but hell, in the entertainment industry anyway, you're providing entertainment to the masses. And you're really now being a part of this ecosystem because believe it or not, Podcasts now are competing with music, which is competing with watching a pod, uh, watching a video on YouTube, which is competing with, you know, watching ABC or watching whatever's on television at that particular point. And it's interesting that how people value different content at different prices, you know, and how much you're willing to give, whether you have to give or not, which is another weird thing about this new economy that we're dealing with when it comes down to the entertainment industry. Now, I think this all started back in 2007 when the band Radiohead had a really bizarre idea, a really crazy concept for their music, which was downloadable at the time, which back then this was still kind of a new thing. Now everything is streamed, whether it's you know through a Spotify or something like that, or you buy something through the iTunes store and you technically own it, but you don't really have a CD or anything to show for it. But back in 2007, Radiohead came out with this idea that you could pay whatever you want for their new album. That meant you could pay a penny or nothing, or you could pay a hundred bucks. It was really the first time that somebody had tried this in the music industry. And while it's not really happening much anymore in the music industry because everybody seemingly loves being on a Spotify or one of these streaming services, this really is the system that is now in place for podcasters, independent video makers and that that use things like YouTube to push their product out to the world. And one of the ways that people are doing this now is through um, the No Agenda show called Theirs. Their model, which is a podcast which deals in media deconstruction, and if you've never heard of it, you should check out the No Agenda show. Uh, John C. Dvorak, Adam Curry of DJ fame, John C. Dvorak, if you're a nerd like me, you may remember from Cranky Geeks, he's been writing in uh, PC Mag for years and years and years. They deconstruct what the mainstream media is doing, and I love that podcast. And the way they make money, this is their, well, maybe not full-time job quite yet, but it's a serious job nonetheless. They do two shows a week, and each show is three hours long. They stream them live, so you can be a part of the system that way. You can get to the chat room. Uh, I provide artwork for them. They choose a different artwork for every show. So you, you have a, a really a cool way to bring people in to the ecosystem of what you're doing, which I think adds value to it. And the way they make their money is there. They call it the value for value model, which is, hey, you like the podcast, send in a donation. Nobody's forcing you to do so. The shows are always going to be free. There's no way if you give a donation, there's really no extra content that you get. If you eventually give enough money, 
And at this point, it's a thousand dollars over whatever length of time you become a knight of the round table. You get a ring sent to you and a certificate and all that. But it's not about the product. You're not paying anything for a physical product. What you pay is not getting you any more content or anything like that. But it comes down to if you like the show and you want the show to continue, you have to pay for the show in some way, shape or form. And people contribute in all different ways. And money is one of them. But their value for value model is basically now something that is really being uh, embraced by the podcasting community, whether it's audio or video or both, because it lets you create a product. You're not forcing anybody to buy it because that's one thing that's really hard. If you're coming out with a new product or a new podcast or new music or whatever it happens to be. Getting somebody to pay you for it before they can actually experience it is a really hard thing to do. But in the case of things like Patreon, which is one of the most popular websites for artists to collect money for their work or let people contribute to them, it gives you a chance to still give your product away for free. And the people on Patreon are doing everything from audio podcasts to video podcasts to video work to comic strips and fiction all sorts of different things. And the way that people are helping them along and saying, hey, I like your work, I want you to keep doing it, is by subscribing, which is basically a donation type system. And on Patreon, there are ways to get more things. And a lot of people on Patreon will offer bonus episodes and all of that. So you technically do get a little extra bump, but basically you're still kind of paying in most of the cases for the product that you could get free anyway. So if you're going to give money, you just understand that if you don't help this guy or girl doing their thing, that if not enough people do that, it may go away. So you want to give them that donation and it can make some really, really serious money. A podcast that I listen to also besides the No Agenda show is Tell Him Steve Dave, which comes out of the Kevin Smith universe and all that. Uh, Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers is on it, which is probably the best known guy on there, along with Walt Flanagan and Brian Johnson. They just went onto Patreon. It was launched Sunday night. And by today, which I'm, when I'm recording this, which is a Thursday, they've already got 3000 subscribers. The lowest rung of their subscription model was $5. The high end was 60, which I don't know how many were available, but the 60s are sold out. So they have a model which was going, hey, you could give five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, 40 bucks a month, 60 bucks a month. So a minimum of $5, 3,000 already. So at the bare minimum, which there's way more in the other higher end. But at this point, they're making over 15,000. I would guess since you don't get the breakdown of each of these tiers on Patreon, my guess would still be they're probably closer to already making 30,000 a month to put out the content within a week of launching. It is really an incredible thing because while they are still giving away an extra episode a week, which is big. Um, so in this case, they are doing more content than some of the other ones, but just by doubling their content, they're still giving the one away free. You can still continue. You're a podcaster now and you're pulling in $30,000 a month. I mean, it's absolutely insane that you can do this in this climate, which is going on right now. And I think it is absolutely awesome. 
But it's interesting to see who values what, especially when there are different tiers. It's like, you know, for me, it comes down to what that content is. Uh, The $5 a month was you get the extra episode. This is back to the TESD example. For the $5 a month, you get the extra audio podcast every week. That's great in the content. If you went to $10, you also get a one hour live stream every month. So I said, you know what, for $10, an extra five bucks a month, boom, I'm in at 10 bucks. And the 20, the 40, the 60, start getting into things that I wasn't interested in. So I didn't buy into it. But you know, if, if there was something where, cause I had just bought in a couple of t-shirts, you know, they do merchandise and all that. So if this was becoming a thing where they would give you a t-shirt every month that was unique or something like that. I could see easily doing a 40 or $50 a month thing. As long as the merchandise was cool and I liked it, you would probably keep up with that. It's that value again that you're putting on this. And it's awesome that people are putting value on a podcast because so many people are used to listening to things for free. I mean, that's what we grew up on. I mean, depending how old you are. Uh, Me, I'm, I'm starting to push towards that 50 range. So I remember growing up listening to radio. And that was always free. You just turned the radio on and it was there. You never thought twice that, you know, I listened to Jonathan Brandmeier in the mornings here in the Chicago area. And it was a great show. I used to tape it on, you know, I used to get up, tape it and go back to bed because it was really early and I didn't want to be up that early. But, you know, there was never a thought of, you know, hey, you should be paying for this because it was all part of a different ecosystem where ads were paying for it. And uh, and that's how it worked. But now you have to retrain your brain that guys like me that are doing this, you know, internet radio, if you want that to continue and you want shows to be able to be produced on a regular basis, you got to open up the purse strings in a little bit. And I, I probably should have a Patreon right now for this, but then it would sound like I'm begging and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to wait at least a few weeks before starting a Patreon account uh, and to get people to support this particular podcast. But I think it's interesting that how you can value something that people are giving away for free. Just because it's being given away free does not mean that you don't have a value on it. And this is the same thing, really, when it comes to physical possessions. I mean, I think we all own something or multiple things that we know that we have an illogical love of that item, and it has sentimental value to us, So the amount of value that we put on it, if somebody wanted to say, buy it from you, would be way higher than what it's actually worth. And this is something that happens all the time, too. It's like, how do you value your, how do you value those physical possessions? As I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, my parents and I just had a relative pass away not too long ago, and we were responsible for clearing out the house. And there were a bunch of possessions, obviously, because that's what people leave behind. And in this case, there were a lot of, you know, Franklin Mint, uh, you know, the plates, dolls, things like this, which a lot of people collected because they, I guess they thought they were going to be worth a lot of money. And in the case of our relative, there were so many of these things, you know, the plates and that, that were just still sitting in the packaging never opened that. It's like you had to know that she had purchased them for a reason because you thought there was value because they were never displayed. They were never put out. They were never enjoyed. And 
the value that people put on physical things also changes with the wind. And where plates used to be, you know, you could probably get $20, $30 a piece for them. Now they're pretty much landfill. So, you know, and it wasn't a thing like we were looking for the value, but it was just kind of like it, it really hit me when going through a lot of her items because she was a very, very detail oriented person. And a lot of the things that she had purchased still had the receipts with them. And one was a copy of Snow White, the movie, when it came out on Blu-ray, it was the, the super deluxe box set edition, whatever that was actually called at the time. And the price that was on the unit, the, the sticker price was still on there from Best Buy, I believe it was. And it was like $189. And the receipt I looked at, it wasn't even on sale. $189. It's like, and it was still unopened. So it was never even played. You never looked at the little lithographs or whatever were inside. The box was still sealed. I go onto eBay, type that in. Hey, what can, what's this going for now? And you could get it for like 40 bucks shipped, brand new in a box, still sealed. So you see that value went way down. When it was purchased, obviously, the old collector's edition, this is going to be worth something. And I've done that before. Everybody, I think, has done that. I, I remember buying a whole bunch of score baseball card boxes. And uh, uh, yeah, they, they didn't end up being worth anything. So this is the interesting thing with the value is you put your own value on it. But what the actual value in the real world is, is completely dependent upon what you can get somebody to buy that stuff for. So your value on something that you have an emotional attachment to is probably going to be completely out of whack with what the reality is with what the actual value is. So it's an interesting thing. You have the physical item, you know, and there's collectibles in that. And it, it, of course, a lot of it will depend upon rarity and condition and all of that. But there were a lot of things that people put value on that were created just to be collectibles. And that's usually where you have the problem. It's the stuff that was meant to be a collectible that usually just crashed and burned in value. Beanie Babies. I mean, what better example than Beanie Babies where people were once going ape shit, paying hundreds of dollars for these rare, stupid little toys that were only rare because this company didn't make enough of certain ones on purpose, just in order to drive the price up. I mean, it really was one of the most insane things around, which is also why most new baseball cards and stuff are never going to go up in that kind of a value because of the fact they're meant to be collectibles and people are hoarding them because they think they're going to be worth something. Back in the 1950s, you know, when those Mickey Mantle cards that are worth, you know, like a small, uh, you know, a mortgage payment or maybe a car. Well, those are valuable because when they came out, nobody thought they were worth anything. Kids were putting them in the spokes of their bikes. They were freely trading them, throwing them around. Nobody was treating them with little white gloves so you wouldn't get the oil from your hands on them. I mean, kids were eating cheeseburgers and fries and trading baseball cards back and forth, which is why it's hard to find those Mickey Mantles in good condition now. And if you can, they demand a premium. Their value is higher because they are actually now in demand. Back then, they weren't at all. If people would have known when those cards would have originally come out, if they would have been made to be collectible and everybody would have just taken them and kept them perfect and put them in a box, well, today they would be worth nowhere near what they are because it's the whole concept of the, the system. It's the whole 
nature of the beast that if you would have known, if you think it's a collectible, it's probably not. And we've made that, you know, hey, I've gone along with that with a bunch of NASCAR stuff when it was hot. And, you know, now there are jackets, you would be you a know, leather jacket. I just got rid of a Dale Earnhardt Jr. leather jacket that I never even took the uh, tags off of. I think I bought it for a hundred bucks from a failing Wilson's leather. And I think I ended up selling it for like 30 bucks shipped. So, hey, we all get caught at some point or not thinking something's going to have more value than it does. These values, you know, how you value something, not your values, that's a little bit of a different podcast, uh, but how you value something will also change based upon your experience. Now, one of the guys that's big in podcasting, marketing, and all that is Gary Vaynerchuk. And I was a disciple. I listened to everything that he had done for, for quite a bit of time until he started doing content that was so so continuous that it kind of felt like I wouldn't be able to get anything else done in a day if I were to listen to everything he did. And my brain, usually if I like something, I want to try to consume it all. If I like a podcast, I'm usually not skipping episodes. I'm usually not listening to part. I'm a guy that if I like your music, I'm probably going to try to buy all of it that I can. And if I've been collecting live Springsteen stuff for years and years since I was a kid, concerts, bootlegs, and I've got thousands, thousands of them. Luckily, now in the digital world, they all fit on hard drives, which are easy to maintain, and you don't have to have them on cassette tapes and all. So I'm kind of good with this digital stuff, but I'm that kind of a completist. And Gary Vaynerchuk started putting out so much stuff and so much stuff, but I still felt like I wanted to help support his stuff. This is kind of like with the podcast and Patreon. Uh, he always gave good advice. He was very open to answering people on Twitter, almost to a crazy, crazy uh, uh, a clip. You know, I mean, he was always, if you were to send him a message, there was a really good chance you were going to get answered. And that is really slowed down and almost stopped at this point because of the amount of traffic going towards him. And I get that. But it was, I mean, I had bought all of his books, uh, you know, help promote the stuff, you know, retweet, tell people when he had books coming out, different products. And there was, he had a wine because that's where he started out in wine. And I'm not a big wine drinker at all. I mean, I don't drink nearly Zippo wine. My mom likes it. So he came out with a thing and he was going to be doing a wine club and he couldn't ship to Illinois, which because Illinois sucks. I mean, I understand it. There are certain hoops you have to jump through in order to be able to ship wine to Illinois. So I got that. I was a little bit bummed out. And then he came out with two pairs of shoes through the brand K-Swiss. And I've never been a K-Swiss buyer, not because I don't like K-Swiss. I had really never heard of them. More of a Reebok guy because I found that their size 15 actually fits me. And I don't have to play a lot of games. They just fit. They're comfortable. I like things nice and easy. But I was like, hey, Gary V is coming out with these shoes. I want to buy a pair because I want to help Say, hey, you're, I like what you're doing. This is my way to give you the thumbs up and help promote, you know, to help support what you're doing, even though they're expensive shoes. I think they're about a hundred bucks a piece. Neither of the first two that he came out with went over size 13, and I'm a size 15. I'm a big guy. And I'm like, hey, Gary, size 15, buddy, what about it? Didn't get an answer. Like, hey, K Swiss, size 15, what about it? And they wouldn't answer either on their Twitter. So it's like these companies need to learn something. They need to value if they do, in fact, value the people that they want as consumers, 
they have to understand if you're on something like Twitter, you really should answer people when they ask you simple, normal questions about your product. Same thing happened with Synology recently when I was asking them something about a network attached storage device that I was interested in buying. They didn't answer me. I bought from their competitor. I mean, it's simple. Just answer. Be honest. People will accept that we understand guys like me, size 15. It's not always a popular size at all. I understand it probably costs you more to make them. I understand there's less people to buy them than if you're down in the normal sizes, you know, 10, 11, 12, whatever it is, the average size for men these days. Anyway, never got a response. And I just kept going because it's like, this is what I do for fun, I guess, because it's, it's fun to harass people every now and then if they're giving you the holier than thou stuff. And they're claiming that they're so great with marketing and all this other bullshit like Gary Vee likes to tell you. But then you can't answer a simple question about your product, nor was the company that you were involved with answering. The CEO of K-Swiss finally responded and said, yeah, okay, we're not making size 15s in these, but we will in the next ones. Well, guess what? (laughs) Yeah, the next ones have been on pre-order now for about a month and a half or so. Funny thing is, the pre-orders on the K-Swiss site uh, immediately from day one had size 14 and 15 grayed out. Well, I tried to get an answer on that again. Gary, silent, buddy. Cat got his tongue or something. I guess his shoes in his mouth or something. That makes sense, I guess, because he's selling shoes now. And again, it was the it was the CEO that finally answered who claimed that the bigger sizes got sold out quickly in the presale. Bullshit, I say. And bullshit so far, it seems to be. And uh, it's funny because the last rounds that came out, Gary was encouraging people to go resell this crap on eBay. And I think it pissed a lot of people off who just wanted to help him and buy his shoes. But he encouraged everybody to do a little side hustle because the shoes were going to be limited. So order them all up as quick as you can and then put them on eBay for twice the price. And he actually was going on congratulating all the people that were doing this. And I'm like, are you fucking stupid? You understand that the people they're making money off of are your other fans who weren't quick enough to buy the stuff. But I digress. So we're back here to I don't believe there is going to be a size 15. And now I feel like Gary is just nothing but a big motherfucking liar. And his value to me has plummeted. Not listening to the podcast. Not interested in buying the next book. Don't want to order any more wine from him. And it was a very simple thing that could have been avoided. Say, sorry, we're not able to do the 15s. I thought we'd be able to. But when you don't answer, Gary, or when you have the CEO of K-Swiss giving me a line of bullshit, he was like, oh, well, we'll be restocking the 15s after the pre-order. But wait, the pre-order has been going on for like six weeks still since then, and you still haven't put size 15s up to order. I think they're vaporware. I will come back on and I will apologize if these do become real, but I believe they're vaporware, never going to happen. And uh, maybe they'll learn a lesson that lying to the consumers is going to make you the value of your product in their eyes go way down. I don't think that should be a question. But it seems like somebody that would be really good in marketing and business would understand that. And I understand that how we value things going to, you know, it's going to go, it's going to be a little bit different from person to person. 
And the question is to how we value, you know, our relationships too. That's really the last thing we had our value, how we place it in entertainment, how we want to pay for podcasts that may be free, how we value physical things, you know, how we value the way we view people. You know, we also have our day-to-day relationships. And I think we all have relationships that we value really, really well. And you'll bend over backwards. I mean, you know, the people that you value the most when they need help moving, you don't go, oh, gee, I'm going to have to go get, I have to go get my um, gall, the stone. I mean, something I got to, no, I got a thing. You know, the people you value most, the kind you'll help move, the kind you're going to be there for when they're having a real tough time. People value people in different ways. And somebody had just said on Twitter right before I start recording the show had made a comment that, you know, people ask you, you know, it it seems to be a common thing. It's one of the first questions when you meet somebody at a party or out and about, what do you do? And her comment was, well, they're only asking you this so they know how much respect to give you. So that was her viewpoint, which is they're, they're only asking so they know how they should value you. And I said, you're absolutely right. They're also wondering if they realize or think that you can do something for them. All of a sudden, your value shoots way up and they're going to try to be your BFF. And there's a lot of that going around as well. So trying to figure out, you know, who your friends are online or who your friends are in real life can be a really hard thing. And it all comes down to how much you value them as opposed to how much they value you. I mean, when you if you go help a buddy move, him and his family of 12, you know, move into a new house and you spend two days helping them move furniture and arrange that, that's all good. And then when you ask him to bring the potato salad to the 4th of July picnic and he's like, I just, I can't. You know, there's a little difference in value there. So, you know, always keep that in mind. As well as, you know, we value our relationships with things like sporting teams. I've talked about that in the past. As a big White Sox fan, I value that brand. You know, that's the one I'm going to go back to through thick and thin. Can they lose that? Sure. But it takes a lot more once you have that once you have that equity built up into that. You know, it takes a lot to lose a fan. As Gary V's maybe seeing at this point with me anyway. When you have somebody, it's a lot harder to lose, I think, than to build that value from nothing. So that's kind of an interesting thing as well. But I digress. I hope you're finding value in the shows that we're doing here. You see what I did there? Kind of rolled everything right back into one. Uh, And if you do, the best thing you can do right now is to subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcast. You can get the RSS link or you can find links to subscribe for both Apple and Android devices on the Random Thoughts website, which is randomthoughts.com. Again, it's R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com. That would be the best thing you could do. And tell a friend, hit me up on Twitter right now. It's at Darren O'Neill, D-A-R-R-E-N-O-N-E-I-L-L. Let me know you like the show. Tell me you hate the show, whatever it is. Follow me. Say you're listening to the show. I'll make sure I follow you back, too. I want to open up a two-way conversation with you to find out what you're liking, what you're not liking, what you want to hear more of, or if you just want me to shut the whole thing down completely, which is fine because I'll, I'll still talk to myself. I just won't have to record it or edit it, and that'll just save me a lot of time as well. But and we're going to run out of one word show titles at some point, I'm sure. But I hope here we are in episode number six with value. And we do hope that we brought something of value to you. 
Until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.